Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. I believe we're on page 941 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Romans 5, verse 1. 942. I actually heard someone say 942. That's good hearing. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of our Lord. This passage is telling us that God's justification uh, opens the door to us to a very different kind of life as Christians. It is true that we, over time, just become accustomed to our own lives, and this is uh, certainly the case for Christians. We just get used to the kind of life we have. Uh, a famous architect reflected upon his own life growing up in the 1950s, and he said, I did not think about whether our house was ugly or plain, cozy or uncomfortable, or whether it looked like all the other houses on the street, which it did. I never thought of our house as something special. It was just the way we all lived. And I do believe that there is a tendency for Christians to uh, not think that uh, their house, the way that they live, is anything special. And they just get used to it. But Paul doesn't want us to just get used to our house, our neighborhood, our life. Paul doesn't want us to think uh, it's just the way we all live and then move on to a different topic. Christians can actually forget that God's justification uh, really and truly opens the door to a very different kind of life. And so in comparison to a life lived without Jesus, the life that Christians live is profoundly different. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, helps us notice this about the Christian life. In the first five verses of the passage, Paul gives to us what I think is a picture of the Christian life. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, therefore, and then he gives a picture of our life. Now keep in mind that the picture of the Christian life is not the picture of the kind of life that Paul has described in Romans chapter 2. 
Chapter 2, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, Romans 2 is not describing the Christian life. And also Paul is not describing, uh, the, uh, Romans 2 is not describing the Christian life, but so too you and I uh, were not uh, very apt at describing the Christian life because very often we describe what we want our life to look like. Or we describe the kind of life that we have by our own wisdom designed for ourselves. No, what Paul is offering in these first five verses is a biblical view of the Christian life. And Paul actually summarizes what this life looks like in the very first verse of chapter 5. Our life is a life of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we wouldn't uh, always describe our lives like that. But there you have the Christian life, a life in which we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul goes on. He tells us what exactly uh, that peace looks like. And uh, I think what he's saying is he's saying that that kind of Christian life is a life uh, that can be described uh, in terms of where we stand and how we move. Two ways of describing the Christian life as a reminder to the Roman Christians, where we stand and how we move. He says where we stand, and that is here, inside God's grace. You can look what Paul says. He says, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've been brought into God's grace as Christians, which is now where we stand. And so through faith, our status as a person, as a human being, it's, it's actually changed. Before, we had no access to God. We were prevented to enter his throne room. We were uh, prevented to uh, speak at will. We were, as it were, outside some kind of barrier. And the kind of peace in God's grace is the peace of one who is standing not outside the barrier, but inside the barrier. I can visit the king anytime I want. No questions asked. And this is not a possible peace. It is a present reality for a Christian. To rejoice in hope is to actually boast about this relationship inside the barrier. As a Christian, I stand inside God's grace. And so where we stand is unique to the Christian life, but also how we move. We move as Christians by God's love and the Holy Spirit. Here's how Paul says that. Notice that Paul addresses exactly the kinds of things that we're very likely to experience or encounter in our lives, Christian or non-Christian, and that is sufferings. The plural for suffering refers to particular sufferings, not this overall sense or feeling of suffering in general, suffering philosophically understood, which often becomes suffering hypothetically understood. But Paul is talking about particular events in one's life. He uses uh, this word to describe the kinds of afflictions that uh, he has experienced. And he names those afflictions. Uh, persecution and hunger, fear, injustice, physical pain, on and on and on again. It's particular sufferings that Paul is talking about here. You know, many of the Roman Christians 
the ones whom Paul is directly addressing, many of them would have endured exile and loss of property under the reign of Emperor Claudius. In fact, it was just one year, perhaps a year and a half before Paul is writing this letter that individuals who had been exiled by Claudius were actually allowed to return. But Paul's also addressing our own sufferings case by case, event by event, occurrence by occurrence. Our grief, our loss of a job, our loss of financial security, sufferings associated with being parents, with being children, sufferings associated with our marriages. All of these things, I think, are in view in that word, sufferings. Even our intense struggle with besetting sins. Sufferings, sufferings, sufferings. And look what Paul says as we move through life as Christians, uh, encountering sufferings. <laughs> Paul says that suffering does something to the Christian. And we ought to ask this question then. How, how can it be that sufferings would produce endurance and not despondency? How can it be that endurance can produce a proven character rather than a faked character, which is hypocrisy? Or, or how can it be that this proven character can then produce hope and not just a self-confident arrogance? Do you see how risky that movement is? But at each step along the way, a Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And it's for this reason alone that despondency is not the only place that our sufferings lead to. And it's for the presence of the Holy Spirit that faked character, that hypocrisy is not the only result of our endurance. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that arrogance is not the only response to a proven character. There's something different about the Christian life, different with regards to where we stand, different with regards to how we move. Now, what Paul's saying here is true for all Christians. Notice that uh, Paul says in verse 5 that uh, God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Every Christian struggles with these steps as we move through life. But no Christian can say that the Holy Spirit is not with me. Paul's describing a Christian as someone who has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you, Christian. By faith, you are standing where you are standing because of the Holy Spirit. By faith, you are able to move through life in such a way that brings glory to God because of the Holy Spirit. But we might... Stop here and just ask, what, what if you're not a believer? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, occasionally uh, you will, uh, to be sure, sometimes feel a sense of endurance, sometimes feel a sense of proven character, sometimes uh, feel a sense of hope. These are not experiences that are foreign to you. Uh, the Bible does not deny this, but the Bible does say that those feelings 
endurance, proven character, hope. Those feelings that you occasionally experience will not guarantee you God's favor. They will, in fact, do this. Though they're good, even though they're occasional, the sense of endurance and proven character and hope, they'll, in fact, prove to be a source of shame to you when you die or when Jesus returns. Because in that day, uh, all of your hopes will be an embarrassment in comparison to the peace that you could have had with God, which you could have had through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very firm on that. Now, as Christians, this is a description of the Christian life, we might ask, uh, how did this Christian life actually come to be mine? How is it that I gain this very different kind of life? How is it that I get to stand inside God's grace? How is it that I get to move empowered by God's love and the Holy Spirit? You know, verse 6 could begin with the word because. Because. And so in verses 6 through 8, we, we begin to see the answer as to how it is that this Christian life can come to me. Because at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, in fact, if you look at verse 9 of our passage, uh, you see uh, a word that points backwards to uh, verses 6 through 8. Uh, look at the beginning of verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by Jesus' blood. Since, therefore, and because, in verse 6, ties verses 6 through 8 together. And this is how we receive that Christian life. Christ died for the ungodly and were justified by his blood. I have this life because of the work of Jesus. Now be very careful, Christian, if you uh, want to adopt the motto of a self-made man. It's tempting, isn't it? Self-made man, self-made woman, worked hard in life, earned everything that you currently have. There's a sense in which that's very true. I don't want to deny you that, but be very careful with the motto, the self-made man or the self-made woman. You're not that self-made. You see, the death of Jesus is what has made you if you profess faith in him. We might ask if the death of Jesus is actually a work. Is it true that uh, Jesus actually uh, did something if Jesus died? It's not that hard to die, is it? You can be passive as you die. But to correct that, Paul gives us verses 7 and 8, and it's truly not, uh, not confusing. Verse 7 asks us to imagine a person who's making a choice of who to die for. Well, that's the clearest understanding of verse 7. Asking us to think who, uh, a person uh, exists who might uh, make a choice of who to die for. And Paul says one will scarcely or perhaps only rarely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. Uh, we could read that a, a better person. Uh, one would dare even to die. Uh, the person who is about to die is actually making a choice. That's important to notice. And verse 8 says that this is like Jesus. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ chose to die for us. You know, that's the emphasis of verse 7 that we carry into verse 8. If, if you're not a self-made man or a self-made woman, you're, you're made who you are as a Christian because of the work of someone else, how can death be a work? 
Well, Paul's describing exactly that. The death of Jesus is not the result of some uh, uncontrollable circumstances like a man having been struck by lightning or someone uh, having uh, been killed by a falling tree. Jesus willingly, voluntarily, actively died for the sinner. It's his work. You're not self-made. He made you by that work. And this is the Father's plan. His plan was to show his love for us in verse 8. How? The active, voluntary, sacrificial death of Jesus. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He made himself God's expression of love for sinners. How? By working for their salvation. Well, what then is our role in salvation? Our role in salvation is the very opposite of work. It's admitting your hopelessness and your need for the work of another. It's receiving the work of Jesus. Abraham thought that he might gain a child through adoption through his servant Eliezer. Or he might gain a child through Sarah's servant Hagar. And all that God would allow him to do was to trust. Trust. I will keep my promise. And Abraham stopped working. And in believing God, he had everything. Now this is heady stuff, to be sure. This is a description of the kind of life we have as Christians and the grounds upon which that life is founded or the work that was done so that we might possess this kind of life. Something slightly different happens in verse 9 of our passage. In verses 9 through 11, uh, Paul actually describes what our relationship with God looks like from God's own perspective. You know, God doesn't see us as a project. God doesn't see us as uh, the, uh, simply the results of his handiwork. Uh, that is, uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and God uh, reassembles them almost like a plastic model. Follow the instructions and you build something. No, God doesn't see us as a project. He doesn't even see us merely as an object of his affection. He sees us as those with whom he desires a relationship. He sees us with those whom he has worked for that relationship. We read that this morning, that God treasures his children you see, when Jesus works, he works for a purpose. And that purpose is sure for the children of God to stand in the grace of God, to move in the love of God by the Holy Spirit. And it is for them to live a very different kind of life. Jesus works for a purpose. But Paul wants us to see that purpose through God's eyes. You know, there's a risk that we might think that Jesus died merely for me to have a better life. Even if we uh, say that uh, Jesus didn't die so that I might have more money, we protect ourselves from that. But we still catch ourselves thinking that Jesus died so that I might have a peaceful life, that I might endure this present age. That's not quite right. 
I want to rest in his grace. I want to move in his spirit. Jesus died for this. How great this Jesus is. And that's not quite right. And Paul introduces a verb, and the verb is to be reconciled. And you may not know this, but Paul is the only writer in the Bible that uses that word. He uses it six times as a verb, and it shows up here twice in verse 10. And he also uses the noun, reconciliation. And it appears four times in Paul's writing, but it shows up here in verse 11. Reconciled. Reconciliation. Do we think that Jesus died on the cross, worked salvation for us merely that we could be in God's grace and walk by God's Holy Spirit? No. Jesus died so that we might be reconciled. You see, this word refers to the repair of something, to a refashioning of that which is broken, to returning uh, something to its original condition. Well, what is it that God is doing then? Well, from God's perspective... His relationship with humanity needs to be mended. His relationship with humanity is an unreconciled relationship because humanity is unreconciled before him and in need of reconciliation. God wants not only for us to have a better life as a Christian, a life that is uniquely Christian, very different than the life of an unbeliever, but God wants us, you, and me. He wants a relationship that is reconciled. You know, we don't see this as the core problem, do we? We think to ourselves, uh, if God wants to love me, no one's stopping him. He can love me. He need only accept me for who I am. And that can't be a problem. I know I'm not perfect. But I'm also not that horrible either. If God barely squints his eyes, well, I'm lovable. We'll be just fine, won't we? In fact, we can look at our own lives and we can say, God, you can certainly be like me. I do this all the time. There are plenty of people that I love by overlooking their faults. I see all of their faults, but I love them still. And if I overlook them, you can overlook my faults. You may not even have to squint to do so. We don't see this as a problem. But the Bible tells us that it is. God says that he wants to have a relationship with us, but in verse 10, we are what? We are his enemies. And God defeats all of his enemies. No one stands before him. And in verse 9, we need to be saved from what? From his wrath. Nobody escapes accountability before God. Well, you see what 9 through 11 is doing, don't you? It's painting this picture in which God is indeed very, very dangerous. And he's dangerous to us because he sees a problem between us. In this situation, nobody should be rejoicing in God. 5 verse 11, we should be turning and running from him. What prevents us from coming together, what has unreconciled us to God, is sin. In Romans 5, 12, Paul says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. 
Well, this is the reason for the unreconciled relationship with God. Until that position of sin before God is dealt with, we remain God's enemies under God's wrath. Now, think about the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus rescues us even from God. Romans 5, 9 is clear. Uh, Jesus saves us from God's wrath. That punishment of sin is dealt with on the cross by Jesus. And not only this, but the life that we now live is a, a life that's actually covered by the life of another. <laughs> Romans 5, 10 uh, could be read that we will be saved through his life. Through his life. That's how the NIV reads 5, verse 10. This means that the life that I live today as a Christian is not the life that protects me from God's judgment in the future as if now that I am saved and have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, I can stand before God. I live a far better life. That is not true. I will never be able to deserve God's affection. That is true for the non-believer and it's true for the believer as well. I will never be able to deserve God's affection. He will always love me because of the perfect life of Jesus. God is so dangerous, so dangerous, that we can only have a reconciled relationship with him through the substitutionary death of Jesus for our sin. We can only have a reconciled relationship with him through the perfect life of Jesus in place of my own imperfectly lived life. But because Jesus has worked for my salvation, I not only get to live in God's grace with peace, not only to move about my life empowered by the Holy Spirit so that my sufferings don't define me, <laughs> but more than that, and Paul says more than that, I rejoice in God through my Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God's justification actually opens the door to such a different kind of life. It was God's plan that Jesus would voluntarily give his life as a sacrifice. Accepting that, sac that sacrifice in faith, well, that kind of life is a very special life. It's a kind of life that flows from being completely reconciled to God. He holds all power. He holds all majesty. But I'm not his enemy. I'm his friend. And I don't expect condemnation from him. But rather his reassuring presence with me. Day by day. In my successes and in my sufferings. He will never leave me. And our relationship can only increase. Because he is continually drawing me. Closer and closer to himself. By his spirit. And one day I will be with him. With such closeness. That I cannot even now imagine. Now. Having received Jesus. The Christian. Still needs this reminder from Paul. Does that describe you well? It describes me. I need this reminder. It seems so simple. Christianity 101 as it were. But brothers and sisters, our life is very different because of God's justification. We are not called merely to get used to this way of living. To live just like the rest of the world. We actually need to understand more and more how special it is that we live this life 
having a reconciled relationship with the maker of this life. And there's something to be said to you if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. If you do not know Jesus, the Bible says that your life is never as special as you think it is. Work as hard as you might. It's never as special as you think because it is always unreconciled to him. You don't want to live your life all the way to the very end and only then look backwards thinking, life is just something I got used to. You don't have to live that way. You can receive the work of Jesus and you can live a life that is reconciled to the one who made you. That's what's being offered to you. Not a better life, a reconciled life and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A reminder to the Christian and something offered to the non-Christian. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus on our behalf. We are grateful for his faithfulness. We are grateful for his willingness. We are grateful for his success. And in his life, we can live. We thank you in his name. Amen.